I'm going to give him one uh, back. Uh, when I first began preaching, I preached in a little town called Elgin, Texas, outside of Austin. And we had a, one of those old baptistry heaters that burned down more churches than you can count on. And we had a local guy that came in and would work on our baptistry heater. And he would just, every time he'd come in and he'd say, Brother Phil, you need to move that baptisery over to the left so you can put you a choir back there behind you. Because a choir is like saying, sick them to a hound dog to a preacher. Well, you have been sick them to a hound dog to this preacher today. It's, uh, it's exciting to be with you. And the, the music and the message that we've given today, both of God being exalted and glorious and about his bringing the days that Elijah forecast when Jesus came and ushered in a new covenant. It's been good. Or maybe it'd be better to say it, good. Son, that is good stuff. It was good stuff this morning. I'm excited to share the message with you today. Um, when the weather is bad, I come in on Saturdays uh, because I know uh, it's best not to try to drive in bad weather early on Sunday mornings and elders get heartburn if they don't have a preacher here on time. Uh, and so uh, I come in on Saturdays, but this week the weather was a little nasty yesterday afternoon and evening, and uh, I am so thankful I drove in this morning. There was one little bitty cloud as the sun came up this morning. I get here about 8.15, so I leave uh, Fort Worth about 5.30 or so. And there was one little cloud as the sun was coming up, and it was just like God was ringing it out. It's a little thin, wispy cloud, and it was raining like crazy. So there was a two- or three-block area somewhere that got a deluge. The rest of them were these feathered clouds, and you know as the sun comes up, it's a kaleidoscope, and the colors change every two or three seconds. It was glorious this morning. So I heard some preaching coming in, and I'm excited to hopefully give you a little preaching as we're here. But we got to acknowledge something that's happened this last week. It's inescapable. Everybody in our country is aware of this. In fact, a few people are really excited about it. And most are not very happy about it. And that's the fact that Green Bay beat the Cowboys last week. <laughs> and if you're a Packers fan, we are going to pray for you. I knew I would finally get an amen from that section of the brethren here. Uh, I don't know if you're this way, but most of us don't feel like superheroes. We feel more like we're supporting Cass in the Waldo picture, and I've already used that image before, but that's the way most of us feel, except when it comes to jinxing our favorite sports team. And then some of you think you have superpowers. I'll give you two examples. My wife cannot enter a sporting event that you don't want to go into extra innings or overtime. And it is uncanny. So, 
if the Cowboys or the Rangers are behind going into the fourth quarter or the seventh or eighth inning, we go get her. Because we know we're going to tie this thing up, and as soon as it's tied, she has to leave. We made a horrible mistake last Sunday. We let her get up and go to the bathroom after the Cowboys kicked the field goal at the end of that game. My daughter is the same way, except she believes she jinxes it. If she's in the room, the last part of the game, and we're ahead and the game's on the line, we're going to lose. In other words, superstition makes some of us superheroes. Now, some of you have to admit you wear the same hat or you wear the same underwear or you wear the same dirty socks or you sit in the same place or your team lost when you wore a shirt so you hope you don't even see it that day. Admit it. But the rest of the time, we don't feel much like superheroes. And this is especially true when it comes to those of us that are older, people that forget that they have to have their clicker to advance their slides, for example. (laughs) But when you look at that superhero lineup right there, do you see anybody there that's over 50? That's okay. I'm excited that he's excited about it. It's cool. You see anybody that now don't tell anybody that Iron Man is actually fifty-two years old. Okay? But everybody else, they're they're all young. And we don't feel like we're much of a superhero. But let me introduce you to a new set of superstars. This is from a AARP convention of superheroes. Where are they now? This is for real. I did not think I could find anything like this on the Internet. And I love these guys because they're perfect for our series today. Forgotten stories and eternal difference makers. Because today is for those of us that are over 50. Now, I want to let everybody know, if you're not 50 yet, you still need to pay attention because you're going to get there. And if you don't get there, the consequences are not exactly what you want. But today, we're talking about two superheroes that I love that are warriors of hope, aging warriors of hope. And they have been my heroes since I first began preaching years and years ago. We're going to talk about Anna and Simeon, and I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Luke 2. Now, we're going to want to open our Bibles, because I don't have the Scripture on the screen today, because the, uh, the passage is a little long. But these are two of my absolute favorite people in all the Bible, and have been since I did graduate work focused on the Holy Spirit in Luke and Acts. And, uh, and I just love them. Now, Jesus has been brought to the temple, been circumcised, and officially named on the eighth day after his birth. And we find these words in Luke 2.25. Now, there was in Jerusalem a man called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's the first emphasis of the Holy Spirit. Second one, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit 
that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Third emphasis on the Spirit. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, I don't know if he took him like this. Those old hands shaking a little bit, or if he held him up like this. I've seen it done that way in a picture. But he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The salvation you prepared in the sight of all nations. A light of revelation for the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. The child's mother and father marveled at what was said about him. Now think about that. Think about all that Joseph and Mary have been through since it was revealed to them who their son was. By an angel. We know when they went to Bethlehem, none of their family was there for them, even though it was their hometown. None of them offered them a place to stay. They were in this Jesus deal by themselves. And they come to the temple after all that. And here's an old, 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 old dude. And he knows. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. A sign to be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your heart also. That's enough. But somewhere along the way, the scene changes. There was a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph had done everything required of the law by the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their hometown of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Oh my, what a sweet and powerful set of stories. So this morning, I want us to focus on five qualities that both of these have that those of us that have hit that 5-0 and up mark want to grab a hold of because we want to be warriors of hope like they are. Let's just look at them. Warriors of hope. The first thing I want you to notice is that they live by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in times of very hard challenges. 
Politically, things were difficult. Israel was a vassal state. That meant that they didn't get to really choose who ruled. And so the king of the Jews, by political standards, had bought his way in. The high priest had bought his way in, and the Romans were in charge, and they hated it. It was a tough time. And then here are two old people that have lived through grueling things. A lady that's been a widow for 77 years, as one translation puts it, or for many years, over 50 if you account the other translation. They lived through hard times. They dedicated themselves to God. And they did so by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the elders, that's why some of your young men that are leaders have challenged us to be in the scripture and to do this 40 days of prayer. This is not a search team thing, although we beg for your prayers as things enter this exciting time. We start getting the names of candidates. But this is a seven commitments. Make, mature, and multiply disciples thing. It's the heart of this church. And the more we're dedicated, the more you commit to be in the Word and in prayer, I guarantee you, I've seen it over and over again, the better the search is going to go. Not because you're praying necessarily for the search, but you're preparing your hearts to be used by God. And that's what these two did. Second thing, I want you to notice, they lived for the future that God had promised for his people. One was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's uh, Simeon. Anna was looking forward for the redemption that God had promised in the Old Testament. These were people that had lived through tough times, but they didn't give up because they were looking forward. They knew that looking with nostalgia in the rearview mirror was looking at a distorted image that was guaranteed that you were going to crash and wreck the future, not only for you, but everybody else. They focused on the future God had promised for his people. Number three, they assured Jesus' parents that the future is bright. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. The future is bright. But there are tough things that lie ahead too. There's usually no glory without a cross, is there? There's usually no victory without the investment in preparation. There's no being ready for the moment of opportunity without the spiritual preparation to make ourselves valuable instruments of God's grace. And number four, they gave thanks to God for his promised future that is unfolding in Jesus. We get very tied to circumstances around us. Let's acknowledge it. If the economy's tough in an area, it affects the mood of the whole area. When the price of oil hit the rock bottom and people started losing jobs in this part of Texas and in my part of Texas when I was living in West Texas, it was hard not to be depressed. When you don't know how you're going to buy beans, much less beefsteak, it gets hard. 
when you're not sure how many more house payments you can make before you have to start flipping burgers at Mickey D's, when you've been an executive in an oil company, it's a little scary. And then you have physical issues, and then you have political issues, and you have the change in the moral fiber of the nation. And before long, we can sound like the most pessimistic people in all the world. Because we don't look beyond our own shadows. And we forget the glory and the power of the Savior that we sang about this morning. What these folks did in much more desperate circumstances had invested themselves in giving thanks. When I was a young preacher, uh, I, I moved to Austin. I was just barely 27. And I'd been trained a little bit in counseling, but just enough to be dangerous. You know, it's like uh, teaching a soldier that... Uh, that when you pull the pin and a grenade, it's going to go off, but not giving him any instructions what to do after that. And that was kind of where I was. And the next thing I knew when I went to preach at Westover Hills is I was having 10 or 12 people coming to me from counseling, and none of them were from my church. You know, because you, you didn't want to go counseling from the preacher from your church. You wanted to go to that other church of Christ. It was kind of liberal anyway, and nobody, you're, none of your friends are going to know about it. And I went to the elders and said, I'm not ready for this. But as I tried to be better at what I did, I remember a phrase in a book that I don't really think is a great book, but God thumped me in the noggin really hard and got my attention. And this guy goes, in 40 years of ministry, I have never met a Christian who didn't pray. But nearly every one of them prayed wrongly. They had forgotten to give thanks for who God is, what Jesus is doing, and what the Holy Spirit has promised us as our future. Now, that's not a quick antidote for everybody that's depressed, but I guarantee you it's a principle that we forget in working with churches for over four decades, it still is shocking to me that unless they're new Christians, most Christians don't know how to pray prayers of thanksgiving and praise. You ask somebody to pray a prayer of praise, and there may be a nice thing or two said about God or a thank you, and then we go back to gimme, help me, fix me, bless these folks, and it becomes intercessory or supplication. Paul said to us in Colossians 4 and in Philippians 4, when you pray, always pray with thanksgiving. We forget how incredibly blessed we are in Jesus. Number five. Share the good news with Jesus about all who will listen. If you're 35 or under, you don't know this. But if you're 60 or over, you probably experience this. You can be invisible. 
Do I have any older people that have ever felt invisible? You walk in and somebody waits on somebody else that came in earlier. They don't think you're a good tipper. Or you're in conversation. You just become invisible. You know what that means? That means we can get away with saying almost anything. And some people do. And they say the meanest, ugliest stuff because they think they can get away with it because they're old. But what would happen if we blessed in the name of Jesus? I mean, you know the unofficial I'm a Christian handshake, don't you? This is the unofficial Christian way to find out if some have a blessed day. Isn't that the way we do it now? We can't walk up to somebody and say, do you believe in Jesus? It's not in a work environment. But if you say, have a blessed day, it means something special. Because it means you recognize you don't want them to be lucky. You don't want them to stumble into something. You want them to have the blessing of God fall on their life. And if they're a believer, they instantly know we got a connection. We got a connection here. Share the good news about Jesus with all who will listen. When I grew up and we started doing mission trips in high school and college, there were no adults that were older that went with us. They had to beg people to go with these young rowdies to go to an international mission trip. I'm thankful that a lot of that's changed. That folks realize that retirement for a Christian is an oxymoron. Professional retirement is the beginning of ministry. It's the beginning of opportunity. It's the beginning to take all our life experience and use it to bless other people in the name of Jesus. And I have to worry about all the junk that we've worried about before. And we can be like Darren talked about. Grandpas and grandmas to lots of folks. Donna and I are Nani and Daddy-O to I don't know how many people in how many countries. And if my kids don't get any inheritance, that's fine. I got mine with sweat equity. They can too. But I want to spend my retirement on not another house, but people that are going to share heaven with me. So those are warriors of hope. Now let's... Let's talk about why this is a big deal to us. Satan tries to tell anybody in our culture today, if you're over 50, you don't matter to the future. So live to protect the past. And most of us believe it. You don't matter to the future. Live to protect the past. (laughs) What's there about the past to protect? It's done. It's dead. It's over. It's past. We can't undo it. And the good old days, as Will Rogers said, never were. The real question is, what are we going to do to enable and empower forward? We have an opportunity to live for future generations to not only have faith, but to pass on faith. If you blew it with your kids or with a kid, Guess what? 
you may have another opportunity with your grandkids. And if you didn't blow it with your kids, how much greater do you have an opportunity to invest in your grandkids? Because sometimes they're going to listen to you better than they listen to their parents, like almost every time. So live for future generations to have faith. But let's talk about something real for a second. Because this is the place we are in churches. I want our kids to have faith, but I want them to have faith like I did. No, you don't. You want them to have the same core faith. You want them to have that same core gospel that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and that we can share in that because of faith and baptism. You want them to have that. But a lot of that other stuff that we fight about doesn't attend to core faith. So you want them to have core faith. You want them to have that same core set of moral values. You want them to have that righteous character. Isn't that right? And when we worry about things, we worry about losing that righteous character. And you want them to have that same compassion that we should have in Jesus. Well, you, you take those three basic set of core things, there's lots of wiggle room. There's lots of wiggle room. For example, when we talk about traveling someplace, we want our kids to get there in a hurry. And when we say, well, we want you to fly and come see us. Because if your kids live a long way off, you want, them to come, you want to see your grandkids. You might can take or leave your kids, but you want to see your grandkids, so bring them here. But if they can fly, and you get to see those kids and those grandkids two extra days, you want them to go that way. But you don't say, you fly on a Wright Brothers airplane because that's how the whole story of flight began. No, you want them to fly on the best way possible. Let me give you an even more real example. Tex Williams talks about when he went to Africa the first time. And he talks about it with tears in his eyes. And he said, I remember getting on that steamer to cross the ocean to go to South Africa. And realizing that my parents won't hear from me at least for two months till I get there. Now, how many of you have been to Africa? Raise your hand. Come on, let's see. How many of you have been to Africa? It takes forever, doesn't it? But it doesn't take two months. It may take you 33, 36 hours in transit. Then you get a long, bumpy ride after that. But it doesn't take two months. We want our kids to be the best that they can be with the core message the core character, and the core compassion, but in the context in which they find themselves. And so let's be careful and not argue and fuss and fight and complain about some of the packaging that goes with it. Number two, let's realize that younger generations, and some of them aren't even young anymore. You millennials aren't even young anymore, I hate to tell you. But millennials and Xers and Ys, we're not sure about the Zs, those are the Folks that are 15, 16, 17, they're much more open to having relationship with older people than most of us were growing up. And I'll tell you one other thing. They're much more apt to give themselves to serve others sacrificially than any of our generations were. 
They might have some issues because they live in a little bit different moral universe. But they yearn for that. So I've urged you before, ask Bruce, ask Whitney, who are some kids that could be prayed for? And you just start praying for them. And wander around into their lives occasionally and give them encouragement. So let's go back. Live by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Live for the future. Assure parents the future is bright in Jesus, though sometimes touched with pain. Give thanks for God's promised future in Jesus and share the good news. I hope you'll do that. If you do that, I guarantee you one thing. It will not matter who your next preacher is if you'll commit to do those things. Because if he ain't a good preacher, you're going to move so fast, he's going to have to run fast to keep up, and he'll get better. But most of all, if you'll do that, God's going to honor your investment with his investment in a person. This morning, I don't want anybody to put themselves on the shelf. Understand, God has a use for you. And when we talk about Big Rick, and I walked in this room, I only really know Little Rick. He doesn't seem that little to me, but... He's a, he's a really good guy. But I saw tears in the eyes of multiple generations of people in this church as they begin to find out that truth. And that's the way we want to be, isn't it? To enter the world crying and everybody happy and to leave the world happy and everybody crying because they're going to miss our influence. That's our goal. So let's go live that goal as we stand and sing.